Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan. And I'm Dr. Redmond. And... Wow. I mean, yes. I don't want to. May I don't want to speak for you, but maybe don't expect the longest episode uh, from uh, this week because this one is such a downer to talk about. This was such a downer to watch. Oh my god! And I had a rotten Sunday. Yeah. And uh, like, oh, I don't know what it was. Well, it was snowing for God's sake. Yeah, that's kind of insane for, you know, end of April. Well, it was just like all of a sudden the weather was just miserable and it was snowing and it was and I was just feeling crappy and yeah, I, I hear you. things and blah. And then I went, oh, I got to watch Cracker because we're doing <laughs> it on Monday. And then it turned out we ended up doing it on Tuesday. Yeah, but, still. But so I had to watch it and it's just. Oh, my God. Such a downer of an episode it is again um i did look up some some of the stuff about jimmy um mcgovern yep who by the way is back writing this week oh and yeah here's tell. the thing nobody's gonna say this is a bad episode of television oh no oh my god and it is it is cracker at its crackeriest well, here's is the there a better scene of him confronting someone than that scene of him and the killer? Yeah. Well, Oof. let me. Yeah. Well, I'll just. It turns out, okay, and he does have writing credit on the first one in the season. I didn't look at the others, but in the next season, okay. right? He has the credit. He has writing credit. So he never left the show. It's just he didn't write all of them after the first season. Um, well, it turns out that what he says is that he just didn't, he told them he didn't have any more stories to tell. Oh. I suspect that, that he saw the end result of the second episode of season two and went, okay, I guess I got to write again. <laughs> um, because, yeah. Because so that Cracker is him. What do you mean? A lot of who Cracker is, is him. He yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Of his personal life. ideas and life and personality into Cracker. Yeah, that's, if again, least surprising thing you could have told me. No, except that that means that when somebody screws up writing you. Yeah, you're going to you take it more personally. Absolutely. When you're writing, and this one is just such a downer. Oh, my and God. What he's doing to Jimmy Beck. You know, is uh, like uh, the only thing that I could say when I came away from this is the goddamn police. I know this show. We've said it before. How much it hates the cops. How much it hates the cops. Yeah, and I mean that was very clear in episode number one. Yeah, this season. Uh, you know, and, and then, then episode two didn't know what it was doing, and no. now this episode. Oh my god. Yeah, I read some. I read some sort of uh, some guy talking about Cracker. He had been talking about a whole bunch of things apparently in a previous blog post and had forgotten Cracker, and so he did a whole thing on Cracker. Nice. And he actually liked that se that season. And I'm going, okay, we know you're not looking at the writing, are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly. 
You're not looking, but he did enjoy. I mean, it was that he thought Cracker was one of the best shows ever. Figure out how he had missed it when he was doing his thing on, um, on um, British British crime crime dramas. Yeah, Yeah. and um, it is essential. It 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 is the best one, but it this one is just. There is no letting up no. of the it is relentlessness. Unceasingly it bleak. These cops, you want to take them and throw them against the wall. And I kept going, yeah, it was the 90s. The only problem I have is that the cops haven't changed all that much. Some have. There have been cops who have changed. And oh, absolutely. Worked more cl- closely with violence but generally speaking and well i mean you know we have our famous uh ottawa uh, a wonderful city to live in a comparatively speaking low crime city to live in i love the place we had a legit scandal because of how badly our cops were handling uh sexual assault allegations yeah right we had that so like even a town like this which i defend and love and blah 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 has like has these issues it is endemic to policing to not take this stuff seriously yeah well the society doesn't this is why we call it a rape culture yeah oh absolutely just a systemic culture of not taking rape seriously yeah 100 percent it's um, interesting. I, I've I've said it before, but it's worth mentioning. Uh, God, I, I will track down the name of the show. But I read this, you know, article a number of years ago about this woman who was essentially, you know, uh, pr- prosecuted by the police for reporting her own sexual assault because the police were uninterested in investigating it and so decided to say she was lying. And it is this nightmare story. I mean, it's a story so bad that they made a miniseries out of it. You know, like that's how bad these cops did their job. That there's a whole miniseries you can watch, and I'll try to find the name of the miniseries so I can recommend it to everybody next week. But this is like the stuff depicted in this episode is one hundred percent plausible. Oh yeah, that was that was what was so depressing. Yeah. If if anything, I mean, there is the rape that there is the rapist, mm-hmm. and why he's doing these rapes, and that is itself depressing yeah well that's that's definitely at the heart of why this was the most controversial episode of cracker yeah well yes i mean because of the whole rate but but the point is is that it is perfectly believable yeah i you know that that this child who's being bullied would would sit in a bath of bleach oh my god when when you hear this right to because he wants to be like his mother who is white and his father was black, right? And um, sure, of course it's controversial, but it's perfectly understandable and a perfectly... The psychology makes complete sense. Of this poor little child who was, what, six or seven years old when he did this. Yeah, six, seven, eight, something like that. Like the logic of the child who was being, you know, mercilessly, cruelly bullied at school. And and Cracker does a really good job of sort of that interview and says, and you're sitting there going, why aren't you bullying the fat kids? And yeah. Cracker says, I know why. Why you thought that? Because I was the fat kid. Yeah. You know, and so I knew. 
you know, I know what, what this problem is. Yeah. And then, you know, everyone's yeah. looking for the, everyone who might be an outsider is looking for a bigger outsider to attack. And then what causes, but what causes the controversy is, is there's, is the fallout from that is that then he, and then he learns, of course, and that's not made as crystal clear as it could be, but this is what causes the controversy is that he said, and then you found out that, well, being black, it's not your fault. It's, it's white, white people, right? Yeah. And, and your mother was white. And, and so you and blamed her. So you blamed your mother. Mm-hmm. And that your mother never took you seriously and that your mother didn't like you because you were black. Well, she had married your father, but that's not the rationale. Yeah. And that becomes more controversial because, you know, then you're sort of blaming the mother and the mother, of course, loved her son, but. Yeah. It, you and know, her daughter it, seems fine. Yeah. You know, the and sister the seems, fine. the sisters seem fine. There's the other son. Yeah. And the other son seems fine. So it's like just this one kid. And then you have this whole thing where he blames the mother for the father's abuse. Yeah, of course. And how it's like the mother made him beat me because uh, she he imagines this world where like he has put everything wrong in his life onto his mother. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And. I mean, it, it is very, very depressing. The problem is, is that, you know, our writer Jimmy McGovern is not wrong. This can, could happen. This yeah. can, could be a logical response. Yeah. Children try to find meaning and they have to blame somebody and yep. you can't. And we all know that children do not tend to blame their abuser, what they try to do is placate their abuser. They placate their abuser and they put the blame on the other parent. Yes. Because or, that is the easiest way to ensure, they believe they ensure that they won't get abused in the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doing the father and blaming the mother and then, right? Yep. And that that is a pretty standard kind of thing to do. Oh, yeah. So it it is it, it is hard to watch this one because it intermixes all of this violent child rearing with racism and yep. end up with two children being okay sort of and we don't know I mean they because we see them in limited in a limited manner except yeah. that they certainly do have issues oh yeah uh, the sister is you know um but this one and he is driving taxi and he's on the and, and he's on getting the benefits yes benefits as well because supposedly he's not working yeah and then he is a, he is a benefits cheat yes you know and he says well everybody does it and i'm not going to get caught yeah. and the sister is going you know and the mother it like his, the the morality of this is you know the is sort of messed up. It's not clear exactly how the family feels because they don't think that they. It's not like they're reporting him. No, it's not like they are. They do warn him that it's going to go badly. Yeah, 
but that's about it, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, don't do this. We're not going to, yeah, we're not going to report you, but, uh, you know, this, you'll get caught because yeah. he's driving cab. Yeah. And he's got, of course, a massive chip on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't help. And then it turns out, of course, you know, I mean, and that's where people got really upset. I am sure, like, I haven't checked all of that, but I, I know that part of it is because, of course, what happened was is that he started when Fitz some Fitz talks about this on the radio. Yeah. Right. Yes. Because he's got a radio show. That's how it starts. I mean, that's pretty funny. The the like that's the funny thing. This whole three episode arc starts. And it's relatively light, right? With this woman who got charged. She's 73 years old and she got charged with shoplifting, right? Yeah. So Fitz just tells everybody to go and shoplift from this particular store. That I know. They have to call, to call the police on this 73-year-old woman. Yep. Right? And she sounds very querulous and she sounds like, you know, and this is... and Well, so, she obviously needed the... She obviously needed... Yeah. The food whatever, or whatever it was she was still, yeah. The food she was shoplifting. And he's right? like, I can't legally tell you to shoplift, but if you were looking for a place to shoplift from. <laughs> you know, what was the name of that store again? <laughs> you know, it's a very so it cute scene. off with this kind of light yeah. touch, right? And, and of course, have- but I mean, it it sets up the recklessness with, with which he speaks on the radio and the fact that yes. he feels empowered to just be whatever he feel like be himself completely and be as you know cheeky and cute as he wants to be on the radio which of course is going to come up later because it's a brilliantly structured episode yes yes no because jimmy mcgovern is back yeah (laughs) and so everything connects everything every little thing connects but it lulls you at the beginning oh yeah i think that's the best way to describe it to this false sense of security of like, oh, we're going to, we're going to enjoy ourselves this week. A little bit. Yeah. No. And then it goes to the guy who see who's driving a cab, right? We get introduced to him. Then we see him driving the cab and going by the depot. And then we see a bunch of guys telling a racist joke as he walks up because they're all white and he's black and they all stop talking. He's like, why'd you stop talking? He's like, no reason. And as he's walking away, they go back to finishing the racist joke. Yeah. And then we see him, uh, and then we see him go and ambush and rape a woman. Uh, Yes, but don't forget that we saw him at the very beginning. We haven't mentioned that. Where he is dating a Oh, yes, we is dating a black woman, and she's like, why can't we have sex? We've been dating a month, and he freaks out and leaves. Three months they've been dating. Oh, sorry, three months. Yes, three months. Three months. And he freaks out and leaves. Yeah, you're right. That's before the cab scene. And he says, you wouldn't like my body. Yeah. Well, and that is his own problem, and we don't know yet the whole story. Yeah. Right? And when we find the whole story, we can see why he said that. I suspect he wouldn't have cared. No, yeah, but I mean, he's, That's hor- not I mean, point. spoiler alert, we have already mentioned it. He's horrifically scarred. Mm-hmm. And of course, from sitting in the bleach, when yeah. the mother comes out with Completely him. below the waist, he is covered in just monstrous scars. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, so that's, it. it is. Oh, yeah. Then- 
But yeah, so the sexually assaults this woman, and the key is he's the uh, I don't remember power reassurance type of racist. I'm trying to remember the exact racist. thing yeah. where he imagines a relationship with these women and like thinks of himself as their romantic partner and sweet talks them, and it's just it's all very upsetting to watch. Oh, that 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 first rape. Oh my god. You know, and then like it's it's a perfectly written version of that type of racist, of rapist. Yeah, yeah. You it's know, like, sits down beside her. He keeps the thing on her head. Yeah, blindfolded the whole time. Yeah, blindfolded the whole time with a hood. Yeah, right. So she can't see him, and then he takes her in for a swim in the pool to get all of his DNA off of her. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the kicker is. That's the wife of the guy who was telling the racist joke at the cab stand. Yes. Because fundamentally, they're not, you can say he's angry at his mother, but it is, it is more accurate to say what Fitz says, which is his choice of victims is specifically about attacking the, the white men. men. Yeah. The white men who have irritated him in one way or another who he feels have attacked him or judged him or whatever, like whatever okay. justification he makes to himself. Yeah. Then he goes after their women. Yeah. Because that's oh. to them. And exactly. And that's what the whole first episode ends up being about. Yeah. Uh, is, yeah. is about this guy because the first thing they do is they decide the cops decide to suspect the, uh, the janitor who works in the building. And then you get this just beautiful scene of Fitz interviewing the guy. And he's like, this guy doesn't have the social skills to be the kind of power reassurance rapist we're talking about, to behave the way he did. And the punchline, of course, being that he's willing to bet that the guy can't even swim and pushes him into the pool. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, but, of course... That's not good enough for the guy whose wife was raped. And he heard that the cops suspected this guy and he heard the cops let him go. And that's enough for him. So he goes and he beats the man half to death. And so it's like yeah. the entire first episode is this little microcosm because there's a whole other crime to solve. Yes. And then you see Jimmy going and talking to that guy, going to yeah. arrest that guy and, and says, well, you know, if it were up to me. Yeah. You'd get a pass. You'd get a pass. Yeah, I know. And you're just going, Jimmy, you just are not capable of learning no. anything. No, he's not. <sighs> because and then we get. Uh, the, well, then we get the kickoff of the through line of this entire episode, which is just the hardest thing in the world to watch, which is Jimmy. Uh, and it's like all of the people out for dinner. Well, out for dinner, out for a drink at the pub, talking about this uh, rape case. And it gets to talk about, you know, the psychology of rape. And, you know, he asks Penhaligon if she has rape fantasies. Now, Oof. why the hell she said yes is beyond me. I know. I Like, yeah, I'm going, well, yeah, but she doesn't. I know. Why? Be well, I mean, I mean, it's it's this defiance thing on her part. Yeah, because she's trying to argue, and she's the only woman 
and this whole bunch of men who are laughing their heads off over rape. Yep. You know, I mean, I from that perspective, I think maybe, yeah. But she should have been a lot more careful. She yes, she's not understanding the nature of this these men. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and how they're doing this. And Jimmy to ask that question. And then her boss makes her go back to the table. I know. I'm going. Not yeah. your boss just doesn't get it no. either. No, what are you doing? Yeah. You know? He you doesn't know, understand what's happening here. Jimmy should be chucked somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, but well, he, again, all the things that would have been better had Jimmy Beck been fired ages ago. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I I know what McGovern... Like, yeah, McGovern is going to... Well, mm-hmm. I'm assuming... What right? he has to say about this character. Like, we'll talk about what's going on with this character when we get there next uh, week and start talking about season three. Yeah. But... And this is the key, right, of where the episode goes. Because uh, we have a beautiful scene with Fitz talking to the husband, right? And the psychology of it and how men see a woman that that they're involved with being sexually assaulted as an attack on them. And how, like, no one gets to talk about their rage and their violation because... Quite understandably, the focus has to be on the actual physical victim here. And so you're left with a feeling like a victim, but you can't talk about it. So you're just filled with rage and it has to come out somewhere. And he gets the guy to confess. And it's not hard to get the guy to confess. No. No, the guy wants to confess. The guy is racked with guilt, especially because, again, he didn't attack the rapist. No, it turns out this was (laughs) a completely innocent guy. Just a completely innocent guy. And again, uh, if it had been the rapist, I'd largely sign off. I mean, I'm being kicked to death. You know how I feel about that. <laughs> Tell me a rapist gets kicked to death. I'm not going to complain. Yeah, That's fine. Better than they deserve, but it's something. Uh, but the fact that it, but this is why you can't allow for vigilante violence, which is, hey, what if you get the wrong person? Yeah. And the same reason exactly. I'm against the death. By the way, same reason I'm against the death penalty. Well, yeah. you can't take the death penalty back if you got the wrong guy, can you? Yeah, that's exactly it. You ask me why I'm against the death penalty? A, I don't think the state should be killing uh, people and still call itself involved in justice. But B, what if it's the wrong person? Like you can, uh, as awful as it is, you can let somebody out after 40 years in jail. You can't get someone back if you murdered them. So that's why I, you know, this is why I'm against the death penalty. And and just to reiterate, I called death penalty first degree murder. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because it's premeditated. Deliberated. It's yeah. premeditated. It's, it's so deliberate state sanctioned violence that we're opposed yeah. to. We don't like first degree murder in any sense. We don't like planned murders. But anyway, uh so we see these uh we get this horrible scene of the one of the victims you know uh, agreeing to come and take part in a reenactment in hopes of jogging her memory yeah right in hopes of jogging her memory and the guy in the cab driving her to the police is the rapist yeah that was just like holy shit 
and you see her recognize his voice and you're like, oh my God. And then, but then the crazy part is when we hear being interviewed, we find out it's not that she recognizes its voice. It's that she has become so paranoid that she thinks everybody. Oh, yes. Yeah. She says it doesn't matter. The window washer, the garbage collector. And as she says, the cabbie today, I thought was him. And of course, the irony is it actually was this time. She wasn't wrong for once, but she doesn't trust herself anymore. And that's the hell she's living in. Yeah. Like she can't trust any man because anyone could be the guy. And so she's living in this, you know, self-created hell that her mind has her trapped in. Because we've had fits already. We see fits. Now, before we move on, we need to put in this little part with Fitz, who this woman has called him and wants to talk to him. And she's black. Yes. And he goes and talks with her. And she says, you don't believe me because. And he said, well, give me the details. So she gives him the details. And she said, is that the rapist? And she, he said, yes. Yep. And this had happened three years earlier. Mm-hmm. This is long before the, the rape of these white women have started. Yep. And, and he, you know, so so she says, he says, yes. And he said, okay. And what? And so she says, yeah. And he was black. Mm-hmm. And so it says, okay, so this rapist is black. He blindfolds you. How'd you know? And she says, I can tell by the way he talks. Yes. And um, so it says, goes back to the police station and says he's black. Yep. And then we cut back to Penn Halligan taking the woman home. Uh, But before we do that, there are two things that are important to mention. One, Jimmy Beck got a big ticking off from his boss for telling the guy that he approved of the assault. Right? That he, he approved of the assault on the innocent bystander. Yep. Yeah, is uh so Jimmy Beck gets a huge ticking off, and then Jimmy Beck role plays as the rapist in the reenactment. Yeah. He's made to do that. Yes, but the key part is is that they bought him the same mask yes. that yeah. the killer's using. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so we see so, Penhaligan taking her home. And as she's and walking up, we see the rapist lurking downstairs and when the first time you see this you're like oh my god he knows that he was recognized in the taxi and he's come back to kill her yeah no that is that is exactly what you're supposed to think because he hung around when the reenactment was Was happening was was happening he hung around yeah and so that's exactly what you're supposed to think uh but no she's fine it's penhaligan that gets attacked yeah you see Penhaligan leaving, and you assume this guy is going to go and attack that woman. But and no. Oh. And this is where it becomes the the hardest episode to watch, because the first X amount of minutes of the next episode are just her dealing with the aftermath of this sexual assault. Yeah. Ooh. And that, that scene where her, like, boss comes to yell at her for taking the rest of the day off. Yeah. Oh. Uh, after says, dropping the woman raped. off at home and she says, I was raped. And he's like, uh, okay, well, we have to do the normal thing. And she's like, no, I'm taking a shower. No, no, she'd already taken a oh, shower. Oh, she's, yes. She, he's like, you know what, 
Yeah, he was like, you know what you're supposed to do. And she's like, I don't care. I had to take a shower. I just It was a bath, actually. It wasn't oh, you're right. It was a bath. It was a, it was a bath. A, yeah. And that makes it even more problematic. But she had scraped the man. Yeah. And she had taken care not to wash her nails. And so they she do the had, thing. She put plastic bags yeah, over her hands. She put ba- plastic bags over hands to make sure that his skin was protected and they would have evidence. And she's like, well, I've got that. I don't need anything else. I'm taking a bath. Yeah. She, I mean, she was still being a cop. She was still yeah. thinking it through, even in this it's, horrific yeah, time. Yeah, except that she, and she, as she said, I knew. And then he said, well, are you going to report it? And she said, I have talked with 14 rape victims up to this point. I can't not report it. Yeah. I have to report it because mm-hmm. otherwise it makes all of the previous. Yeah. Well, basically she's saying everything I said to them becomes you know hypocrisy and a lie if i don't report it myself yes so she has to report it and then she wants her clothes back within the day the same day she doesn't want the cops going through her knickers and they do actually get it back to her yep that was nice and um and then she's burning them and fitz shows up because she was supposed to go over to his place for mm-hmm. a rendezvous and um guess what uh she doesn't show up so he goes to her place and she's burning her clothes he knows nothing about the rape mm-hmm. he hasn't heard any of this because he's been talking to this other woman yeah and um so and then Penn halligan just doesn't want to have anything to do with it yeah. And he and he can't figure out why. And then, you know, he goes yeah. back home and, you know, gets sees his wife's car in the driveway. Yep. And his son looks at him and his son says, you're going to need a drink. <laughs> he says, so she's in your mother's in the house. Yeah. And you're going to need a drink. And sure enough. Oh, my God walks in and she's pregnant yeah remember in the previous episode before she left him when they had sex yeah she's pregnant she's five months pregnant pregnant. yeah oh my god fits yeah well you know i mean don't ask me why she wasn't i guess i guess they hadn't been taking the pill well no of course because they hadn't been planning and they weren't having sex anyway. Exactly. Blah, 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 blah. But yeah, her recklessness, now she's pregnant. Now she's pregnant. So she decides <laughs> to come back home. <sighs> I wish that were a belie- I wish that weren't a completely believable thing. But that is a completely believable thing. And then Ben Halligan shows up. I know. Trying finally to, yeah. And there's been another rape. Yep. But he still doesn't know that she's been raped. Mm-hmm. And it is the boss that tells him. Yeah. He can't understand why. Why she's he, behaving the way she is. Yes. Yeah. And then the boss tells him. And then he's, and she, he says, and then she says that he's like, because, rem, because what we forgot to say is that they did arrest Malloy because yeah. he had had earlier charges. They brought him in. To question. They didn't arrest him. They brought him into question because yeah. he is a known rapist. Yeah. And so then what happened, right? What happened is, is the boss is going, no, only white men 
white men rape white, white women. women. Yeah. And, and so it is true I, that sexual assault generally stays within racial lines. Yes. It's a just a weird thing, but that is true. And I mean, a lot of it goes down to who you have access to. But yeah. just from a criminology statistical standpoint, that is accurate. Yes. So, so they cut saying, him loose. Yeah. So they cut him loose because he says he has an out. Al- he has alibis. Yeah. And his best friend does back him up. Yes. Saying he has an alibi. Until his best friend finds out what he's being what accused he's being of. Accused of, right? Yeah. But that's that's that happens a little oh, later. Dear. Yeah, that uh, but the key is while um, while they're dealing with Penhaligon, the guy goes back, and, you know, to try and get his benefits, sees the same guy and the guy calls him into a room. Yep. Right. And with another guy with another guy and says, look, we know that you're working as a cab. And it's like, you've got to withdraw your you've got to withdraw your application or this is going to be referred for criminal fraud charges. Yep. And they're literally doing the most they can do to not, like, jam this guy up as he's continually committing crimes. They all know he's committing crimes. And it's like, you think, like, he sees it as everyone's trying to oppress him. But it's like, they could have called the cops on him already. Yep. They're literally doing... A cop had reported him. Exactly. They're literally doing everything they can to keep this guy's life from being destroyed. But yep. all he can do is interpret it as everyone's against him. Yeah, and so then he looks at the guy who's who was the main guy that he was talking to, and he says, I know where you live. Yep. And of course, and this is the key part that creates Fitz's culpability, he calls into Fitz's radio show. Yep. Oh. So, what should I do? You know, <laughs> like that's it. I don't think, no, no, Fitz did not tell him to. No, of course he didn't. He says over and over again, don't kill anybody. No. Fitz says, the cops know about my MO because the women are alive. So that if I want to get away with it, I should just be killing the women, right? Shouldn't I? Shouldn't I? And Fitz, of course, in no way says that. No. He doesn't agree with him. He doesn't encourage that. He doesn't say he's right. And the fact is, the cops already know everything about him. Like, there's nothing more that can be learned by any of his victims. They know everything about this guy. Yep. But he wants someone to justify uh, the murder. He wants someone to blame. Yeah, he wants someone to blame because he always needs somebody else to blame. That's at the core of his personality. Whether it's his mother or whether it's the guy who's denying him benefits, he always needs it to be someone else's fault. Yeah. Whether it's the guy who that he's only assaulting these women because their men insulted him, he always needs it to be somebody else's fault. And so he <sighs> does kill that guy's wife. Yeah, that, he does kill that guy's wife. And he's real bad at not getting caught because he j- literally just drives his cab, you know, up and down the street a couple of times while he's getting psyched to do it and drives right up to the house. Yep. Uh, but it's worth mentioning that uh, Fitz, while this is going on, is talking to Ben Halligan. And we get that beautiful scene of, uh, was it a black guy? And she's like, uh, no, I saw enough of him to know it's not a black guy. And he's like, well, the killer's a black guy. And did he talk? No, it's not the same. It's not the same guy. 
Yeah, it's not the same rapist. And he's like, do you talk? And she's like, no, well, this guy talks. And honestly, it's difficult to do this thing kind of, kind of thing without threatening someone and talking to them. And he says to her, the key element, which makes us all go, oof, because we know he's right. The only reason for this guy to be silent is because it's someone you know, and he was afraid of his voice getting recognized. Yep. And she talks about remembering, like, the smell of well, his he, cologne well, and his cigarettes and everything of the race. Well, well, the thing is, is that Fitz does does this process of telling her to fist and dig into herself. Yeah, to try and, and remember these details. On, focus yeah. on, focus on that. And then, then I'll ask you questions while you're focusing on your pain. Yeah. Right. Uh, of your fist. Oh my it, God. It's it, such a good it, scene. It, it's, it's, it, it is a process that can work. Yeah. And in this case, you see it working and she remembers first the gloves and then she remembers the smoky coat and mm -hmm. she remembers different things. And then she. Even his aftershave. And then a smell aftershave. Yeah. You know, and then she's, you see her going through bottle after bottle of aftershave and trying to figure it out. Well, oh. here's, here's the thing, right? Of course, any perfume, any aftershave, anything like that actually, it becomes individualized. Yeah. Because it mixes with the sweat and odors of the person. Of the person, right? Yeah. So it becomes individualized. It will have a distinctive so smell. Yeah. Trying to smell it the way she was doing it and putting it on a Kleenex and smelling it is Isn't gonna it's work. not going to work. No. Generally speaking. Because oh, it is, okay, I can smell it as this, but it's not really quite like that. No, it can so, never, it's, it is unique from person to person. Yeah. So. So yeah, it's, it's not a dead end, but it's not the good lead she wants it to be. Yeah. And so. So yes, he has murdered this woman, and so they, uh, ooh, they rush there, right? They rush there. Oh my God! The guy, the husband, finds her, and the cops get there at and almost the, the same time. Yeah, and he doesn't right away. Oof. The next day, he finally says, "And the guy's going to hear anybody who threatens you." We have this, but before we get to that, we have. Yeah. One of the most strange scenes, yet one of the most true-feeling scenes, the fact that across the street lives this woman who is basically oh, this elderly woman who has just been waiting for years for there to be a crime across the street or on so that she could be part of the story. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. That was, and the poor cop who's interviewing her. I know. Right? She's just looking at her. Oh, and she says, well, you know, I have like this kind of a notebook and I keep everything down that I see and, and all yeah. this sort of stuff. And what do you do? And he throws her a little, he, she says, well, I guess you have to have a little one because you can carry it around with you. <laughs> and that's just like, it's the only, only, only moment of levity moment. in this entire thing. But it's like, it's, it, it speaks to us in our current age of people's obsession with true crime. Yeah, it does really does speak to that mindset, and it's like it feels more relevant now than it did then. Of just like this person who is desperate to be part of this real life tragedy story, to like make it part, make herself the center of the story. It's just it feels even more true now than it did then, because <laughs> there's always been this type of person, but now it's like 
I feel like this is all the type of person we have. We've all got to insert ourselves. I want to be a witness. Exactly. And when, oh, and God, when they, she wants to be a trial. Oh. Oh. I know. She finally got a real one. Yeah. On but her. anyway, they they search the right. They search. They find the uh, the name of the guy whose cab it was. Right. Uh, and he says, "Oh yeah, of course." Uh, and, and but well, no, they first said, go to Malloy because yeah. it's Malloy and and Malloy says, "Well, I wasn't riding the cab. I I led it to my it friend. Guy. Yeah, and so the friend backs him up. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. I was driving down that road. Yep. Jesus. Ah, uh, then they have to go right." Uh, and then we get the next step where they f do find out Malloy did it. <laughs> Takes us a while to get there, though. <laughs> and in the meantime, we have... Yeah? J Jimmy. Oh, Fitz. Now, where in this does Jimmy... Jimmy already has the breakdown. He's called... Yeah. We see a... Uh, yeah. We see okay. his complete breakdown. He's co he has completely broken down. He's saying at work they blame him for his boss's death, and, mm -hmm. and then but he never he doesn't admit to having raped Ben Halligan. Nope. But you can see he's messed, and you we're already well. If it's someone you know, who the hell else? Would yeah, we all doing? know what's going on. The audience knows what's going on. Yeah, here. the audience has to has to figure it out. Yeah, but he's calling and desperate for help because yeah. he doesn't know how to cope because everybody blames him for, as you say, for his Baneborough's death yeah. and how it's like Baneborough was the best cop. And honestly, he did seem like a better boss than their current boss. Well, I, in some ways, yes, in some ways, no, because if, if, because he supported Jimmy in so many of Jimmy's. Yeah, real stupid things. Stupid stupid things rather than making jimmy grow up yeah he did and become a better cop he just allowed jimmy and in some ways he supported jimmy yeah and the only and he was probably a lot like jimmy until he got married and had a baby yeah i think that's probably accurate okay uh yeah. because they had lost the the previous baby mm -hmm. you know and so he was so he had changed when they lost the first baby and so, you know, he had changed, but I suspect he was very much like Jimmy Beck. He wanted the old, old cops back. He wanted, yeah. he didn't want the women in there. And mm -hmm. I mean, because that's part of the problem. They don't want women in. This is still before you see even more women joining police forces. Yep. Right. So this is the, the beginning of it. Yeah. And um, in the 90s. And mm -hmm. so you're you're seeing this. So I suspect, you know, because he says he was the only one that sort of made me feel like I belonged and I was like, and I can't stand change this, all these things that are changing. And if if you're compassionate, everything goes wrong because he was compassionate to Albie. Albie and now Bainborough's dead and yeah. And now Bainsborough well, he wasn't compassionate. He was he's rewriting his history. Yeah. He, he was, was just, just naive. Kind of, he was just naive and and didn't bother. Well, no, like he didn't up. do any follow up. Exactly. He didn't do the follow up. Like he up. didn't check what he was told. Yeah, he just like believed. you can you can have sympathy for a guy, but you can still like 
check, check what up. you're told. Well, plus, he fit every other criteria yeah. Alby did. He's the guy who just friggin' shaved his head. Yeah, on the same day. It's, it on the same out. day. And then, uh, and it's like all of Fitz's thing. It was like, no, he'll be a guy who has a job where he works the night shift. He'll be, a, you know, who just came out. It's like every single part of the profile, Albie fit. But because he didn't have, like, because, you know, Jimmy was blind and heard that he might have cancer, he decided to just ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Jimmy screwed up. Yeah. Badly. He didn't do his. his yeah. He didn't do his and diligence. Halligan had been the one. Like there was two things. Ben Halligan was, was to be the one who, who yeah, called him on it initially, and then afterwards, you know, Ben Halligan is the one, therefore, that knew. Oh yeah, and he blames called. her. Oh no, he he has always assumed that she told everybody. Yeah, where it's like no, everyone just knows. Well, yeah, because I'm sure that there's a record of him canvassing that area. It's just yeah. all part of the record. Yeah. And so if he canvassed that area, how did he miss this guy? And he even wrote this guy up in his yeah. canvas. So, yeah, there were more people who knew. Plus, when he was talking with Penn Halligan, it wasn't like it was in a, a private space. No, not at all. You know, there were other there were other cops around yeah. that would have heard this and probably ignored it. And it wouldn't have mattered if Bainborough hadn't been killed. Exactly. It never would have ever, nobody would have thought any more of it. And Jimmy's sloppy police work would have just been, okay, well, that's just Jimmy. But the key is we can see him decompensating. Yeah. It's, he's, he is falling apart. He has called a helpline. And then when the guy wants to know if he's talked to the woman. Yeah. Oh, and you see him trying to talk to Bainborough's wife. Yeah. You know, and, and admit what he's done, and yeah, and he can't do it, of course. So, mm-hmm. oh. of course, he can't do it. He can't admit. Yeah, you almost feel sorry for this awful man. Yes, almost. Because that's all after he has gone and raped Van Halligan. Yep. You know that he's that all of this is falling falling apart. This is what he has done, and and he's probably a spur of the moment idea that just got into his head because he had the mask oh exactly yeah yeah no oh good it's not like it was a well-planned thing no yeah no it just it all it was this confluence of horrible drives and an opportunity yep oh god this episode uh so they figure out uh they figure out who the rapist is and they go to try and catch him and he flees across the rooftops and he runs around right uh, oh, uh, though, oh, we didn't mention that Penhaligan sees Jimmy breaking down and hugs him and smells the cologne on him mm. and immediately knows who did it. Yep. But does not confront him. Yep. Uh, but because that's in the third episode, what happens there? Uh, but anyway, so he goes on the run. And so we get the fantastic scene between Fitz. Oh, between Fitz and, and the mother. mother. And the mother, yes. Oh, the scene with the mother is so powerful. Oh, my God. Denies and denies. Denies. But they already know. Oh, yeah. They already know about the bleach. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, it's part of of his medical record. (laughs) Because they have Malloy's medical records. And his history. 
And the woman is keeps insisting that no, no, he was not a rapist, and no, 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 his mother. And then they, and then you just watch Fitz slowly break her down. And she says, "Well, what do you do? Yeah. What do you do when you when you come? You know, you go home and you find." Right, your son sitting in bleach, and he because he wants to be like you. He wants to be like me. Oh, how can you possibly deal with that? Deal with that guilt for the rest of your life. Yeah, he wants to be white. Yeah. Oh, him and Michael Jackson. Oh yeah. Oh, poor Michael Jackson. No, I know he's a monster, but. Never. No, Never. no, I mean, the thing is, no, I mean, like all, no. I mean, I, I, it's a cracker type situation. Yes, he's a is. monster, but we know how he became a monster. Yeah. Like he didn't become a monster by accident. He didn't choose it. It's a yeah. thing that happened to him. And then he kept the cycle of abuse going. Yeah. And that's what made him a monster. The fact that he didn't get help, the fact that he kept the cycle of abuse going. Like we all know about him being molested by one of the managers on the road. For the entire time he was in the Jackson 5. Yep. You know, that's why he turned into this monster. But the turning into a, a white person, that was weird. Yeah. That was weird. And I don't know what the I don't know what the psychological origins of that one were. I'd like to find out what that molester looked like. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things. Was there. he trying to literally turn himself into his abuser? I don't know. All I know is he never stopped being a monster. And, and he wanted to be like his sister. So he yeah. had a lot of plastic surgery. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like and then it would deny it, right? And, and like the, the, the level of denial. over Yeah, that was always the strangest part. The fact that he would look people in the eye in these interviews and deny that he had had any plastic surgery. Yeah, and you're going, have you not looked at yourself in the mirror? And all he would say was, well, my, I had to obviously had, you know, some surgery when I got burned that time shooting that Pepsi video. So obviously I look a little different. It's like, yeah, no, that's no, no, not. No, 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 no. That he, was years different than. And he, yes, and he lightened his skin. All you have to do is look at pictures of him oh yeah I mean, well yeah. and he may have wanted to be white because here's the other thing is that he probably in in some bizarre way just like this 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 particular criminal did what he did was he worked he worked it out that if he had been white he wouldn't have been abused yeah that's entirely possible because he was black and therefore that's, vulnerable and, yeah and therefore vulnerable right yeah and so he wanted to get all of the social power of being white. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's not a, that's not a bad reading. Like it's entirely yeah. possible. That that's what's going inside this poor diseased man's head. Yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, I know it's, it's hard to pity Michael Jackson because of what a monster he was, you know, how, like how many lives he ruined, but it's like, when you start looking into it, it's this poor thing where it's like, because we are humans with empathy when you get into the origins of what make them. And this, the, this episode, this guy is among the most loathsome villains the show will ever produce. Yeah. I mean, that is because he has no remorse whatsoever. No, no, no remorse. And, and he never stops blaming everybody else for his actions. Yeah. And no self-awareness, no remorse. No, and it's just, and it's clear right throughout the whole, from beginning to end in the three episodes. And it's really hard. And yet you look at what 
he had and we have what he came from yeah where he came from and we have no idea the worst of it and we don't really get into how abusive his father was but it must have been bad yes it we know how abusive all the other kids were and we know that the abuse i'm sure only got worse when he was scarred from the waist down from the rest of his life yep and he's so afraid that he can't have you know a relationship with a woman because he's horrifically has horrifically scarred genitals and so he's ashamed to show them to anybody that only you know adds to this and he blames his mother for that and he blames white people for that and it's like it it all becomes this horrible self like um you know self-perpetuating cycle of resentment and rage and violence so it's like he's the among the most monstrous we've ever seen and yet you completely understand how every piece of it happened. And that's what makes it so horrifying. Because this is the show that is about how monsters are made, not born. Yep. And it realizes that it's like anybody could have ended up like this with the right amount of abuse as children. Like the, the right amount of abuse properly directed could turn anybody into this. And that's what's so horrifying about the show Cracker. Yep. And we are going to, in season three, we are going to have a truly horrific story about uh, child molestation. Yeah, well. Yeah, it's not like this, you know. It's very different from this one, but this isn't the last, uh, this isn't the, because, you know, we don't know that this guy was sexual, had sexual violence in Visit Him as a Child, but... Uh, we do know that he was sexual, uh, that he was physically disfigured of his sexual organs when he was a child, and that warped his sexual development for the rest of his life. So it's definitely in the same ballpark. Well, let me put it this way: it's not like like I'm sort of sitting here going, I on Sunday going, oh, why did we have to do cracker? Oh, we had to do cracker, but there's a reason why I never re- delayed this. Cracker. Why you never want to rewatch Cracker after seeing it the first time? Well, no, because I had remembered this episode, and uh, you oh. remember when I was talking about the uh, when I was talking a week ago when we were doing the other one. If I remember there being other great episodes that were impossible to watch. And obviously this is the one I was talking about. What I forgot was that it was the next episode. Yeah. It's called, you know, men should weep. Yeah. I mean, it's all in the title. Just what Jimmy McGovern is trying to tell you. Yeah. That this is all wrong, wrong, so wrong. And the police, are abetting it. Yep. Are aiding and abetting it, and it's all wrong. So this is where we get the they the and the crazy part about this episode is again he's not hard to catch. He was a known rapist. Mm-hmm. He was a known rapist. He committed. He drove a car that he was known to be attached to to the crimes. He like he threatened the husband of one of the victims. The day, uh, like the day of the murder, right before he goes and kills her. Like he was not hard to catch and they get him in and they bring him in. And again, magnificently written and acted scene between him and Fitz. Yep. Where essentially he gets at the heart of it, which is, you know, this is only about power and this is only about making the white men who you've decided have ruined your life feel weak and vulnerable. Like, this is just a conflict. The women are objects for you to use 
to destroy these men. And what was even worse? Society it, says it, you can't hurt. Yes, and, and black and, women, black women were just practice. Exactly. Oh my god. I mean, I like, I like. There is nothing you didn't because you liked these black women or yeah. whatever. They were just practice. They were just disposable objects for you because just you knew like, no one would look into it. Oh, oh my god. Another, and it is now 30 years later and we're still talking about rape culture and if it hadn't been for me too yeah god only knows would this would this even be talked about would the term rape culture even exist in people's heads you know? and in in the way it does yeah you know whereas no would it be no i i mean literally it's a commonly i mean it's not well understood because the media doesn't cover it well but I'll say this, at least it's a term people know now. You know, yeah. at least people have the ability to look into so it. Me too, me too has made such a big difference because... It has made huge strides. And well, yeah, okay, you know, most of the men didn't, I mean, most of the men didn't lose their jobs. But hey, uh, Harvey Weinstein's in jail. Yeah. You know, you know I don't I don't think, um, oh God. Bill Cosby uh, never got Bill out. Bill Cosby, okay, he got out of jail because of shady stuff the prosecutor did. But it's not like he's on tour. It's not like people have forgotten what Bill Cosby did. Like, some some stuff stuck, stuck stood. Yeah. Some stuff stuck or stood. And I don't know why that became one word. But yeah, so it's like, like if you want to understand, you know, rape culture and this toxic masculinity and why rape is a crime not of sex but of control and violence power. and power right uh there is no better six minutes to watch than the scene of fitz and the rapist in this episode yeah. it's it's fantastic it's so different <sighs> the whole and, thing and then his lawyer shows up and gets him sprung because they don't you know because they don't have any physical evidence yet. There's nothing they can hold them on yet. And they can't. Uh, and then Penhaligon finds out that uh, the evidence that she got oh. under her nails has disappeared. It's not usable. It's disappeared. Like, it, it's just there was nothing there. And she's like, what the hell? Because now she knows Jimmy Beck's the rapist and she finds out who is in charge of getting that evidence to the, uh, <laughs> right? To the lab. Oh, is Jimmy Beck? Huh. And as she says, and the boss doesn't want to hear it. And he's like, you can't make this accusation. It'll like destroy the squad. And she says, Jimmy came and he drove us. To the to police station. And I walked out of that house with plastic bags over my hands. And he didn't And ask. he didn't ask what had happened. Why? Because he already knew. Because he's the rapist. And the boss just doesn't want to hear it. The boss cannot cope. Like, this is a thought that can't exist in his head. He just, he wants this to go away immediately. Well, partly because he, he probably, and this is what I would say, given his reaction... Yeah, he, knows he knows it's true. Of course he knows. He has he to know right away. But he can't because he knows what it'll do to the squad. And he's not wrong. Like it would no. blow up the squad. And if it became public, oh my God, think of what ma people would think of the Manchester police 
if it becomes public knowledge that a police officer raped another police officer. (sighs) And so now we're, we're left with Penhaligon demanding he be investigated, but saying there's no evidence that it happened because her smelling isn't proof. So now what the hell are they? Yeah. What the and hell are they and supposed there's to do? no possibility of DNA because she went and took a bath. The bath, yep. And so she's blaming herself at the same time as she's blaming him. Yeah. You know, she's blaming her boss and herself, and it's this brutal scene. Meanwhile, of course, they're tailing the uh, they're tailing the rapist. They don't want him to do anything again. Uh, and so he manage but he manages to slip away from them and steal a car. And so it's all hands on deck. How are we going to find this guy? Oh, how that, all hands on deck. How are we going to find this guy? And Fitz is like, we need a list of all the white men who he thinks have wronged him because that's who he's going to attack. He knows he's caught. He wants to go out in a blaze of glory, essentially. Like he's decompensating, he's crumbling. And then they're like, uh, oh, and uh, he set the car on fire and it was reported. Just down the street from Fitz's house. Well, of course it's going to be you, Fitz. Why wasn't that your... I mean, that's my only problem with the episode. Why wasn't it your first thought, the first moment, that obviously he's going to come after Because he doesn't take it... Like, surprisingly, he doesn't take it seriously because he didn't tell this guy to do anything. Even though he knows this guy has to blame somebody for everything that he does... And he, you know, and he did blame Fitz. Well, oh no! In the conversation, he does fault. blame Fitz over yeah, and over but again. Fitz says, for, yeah, but it wasn't my fault. So yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't tell you to do anything. And but you know, like Fitz has had other blind spots. It's always when it comes to his own personal. That's true. Life. You're right. It's not like it's not like this is for Fitz's first ever blind spot. You're right about no. that. Right. So all of a sudden, and then that on this street, oh my God, that's where my house is. He tries to call his wife. And of course, we've had that scene where the son is upstairs with his girlfriend with all the music on, and they're not hearing it. I'm going, oh, yeah, okay. <sighs> but it's fine. The cops rush there. there in time. And we have a wonderful scene of Fitz. And I mean, again, saying that you think you're attacked. And I mean, it's what he has to say. Yeah. But this speech he gives where he's like, are you stupid enough to think you're attacking me? by assaulting my wife what do i care about her she keeps leaving me she's nothing go ahead and kill her be my guest and it's what he has to say but again here and fitz do it poor his poor wife what she she puts up with from this man because she doesn't know what context of any of this her son is coming down the stairs and is going to and does clobber this guy clobber yeah. this guy before yeah. the police even get there because he's got to he's got to make the guy hesitate and he's got to keep the guy's focus on him and yeah. he's got to use exactly the terminology that's going to make the guy hesitate but to her it seems pretty brutal because it is pretty brutal yeah and she will she will understand oh, yeah, eventually once but she realized just... what happened that her son was coming down the stairs yeah. and i know had to but... keep you know, but that but but God in the moment, cool. it is a, it is a horrible it's, it's moment. A, it's a horrible scene. Yeah. In that moment. Oh, until, you know, find out what fits because the audience is not allowed to see why fits. Like we all know Fitz is doing that 
to 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 buy time. Oh yeah, but right? she doesn't know. Not only she, the audience doesn't know because we do not know the sun is coming downstairs. Stairs, no, we don't. Uh, but yeah, it's it's only a magnificent the scene. They get him. That's all that matters is they do get him. Yeah. But and this is the key part. Episode's not over. It's never over. Because uh, being a reasonable person, Penn Halligan's not letting this go. And she's got herself a gun. Ooh. And she goes to Jimmy Beck's place. And she Eyes knocks him to the ground. And she sticks the gun in his face. And he, of course, won't confess because, you know, he doesn't want to get shot in the face. And it looks like she's about to execute him. And we cut back to Fitz and Fitz gets a call from her. Yeah. And that's the cliffhanger they left the season on. What are you doing to me? Thus ensuring. Ensuring that we get a third season. Yes. As we have the end of this. Yeah, to quote uh, Lifestyles and the Rich and of the Rich and the Famous. Yeah. Uh, what was his name? Robin Leach. Robin Leach, yeah. Perfect, perfect name. Again, apt, like, if that were in a book, we would scoff at the aptronym Robin Leach because it's like being the name of the character who sucks up to rich people. Yeah. Like, as a writer, I am disgusted by that name, but he's a real person and that's what he really chose to do with his life. Yeah. So we start, we get out of the na- the world of aptronyms and into the uh, much fuzzier world of nominative determinism. <laughs> Does your name decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life? Yeah. A very, very stupid pipe- pop psychology theory. There's, there is nothing, there is nothing worse than having, having a double Irish name. <laughs> <laughs> what do you expect from me? The only thing I'm not is a drunk. I know, right? Well, no, but with your double Irish name, how did you not become a drunk? That's nominative determinism. <laughs> it's what it's, in case you're wondering, it's the theory that um, do, <laughs> does the name you have create such social expectations on you yeah. that you wind up uh, being essentially forced into becoming a certain kind of person? That is the theory of nominative determinism. I think it's gibberish. Yes, I think but it's it is gibberish. a theory that exists. Yes, but it's pretty funny. I mean, you can make jokes about it. Oh, of course. I mean, I just did with I Robin do. Leach. Yes, I do. I just want to make it clear that I don't think nominative determinism is a thing. For the record, this is not something I believe. I believe some crazy things. This is not one of them. No, but as I said, yeah. Well, th- never mind. I will leave leave that little comment I've had. I've said it before. <laughs> Which is always very weird. <laughs> yeah. Weird, weird thing. But anyway, I will All talk. Right. To you uh, but yes, this is an incredible out. three hours of television. It was it was it was just again. Yeah. There was no it was as bad as the Albi episode. Yeah. It might have been worse. It, in fact, I would say. Well, I mean, that one's worse. about that one's about you know the rise of white hate, and this is the one about uh, will white race in will white racism create the very monster that it claims to be uh, guarding against? Yeah, 
That's what the question of this episode asks. And you can say, well, that's an, uh, it's centrally, uh, you know, a centrally racist question to ask because it, you know, presupposes the idea that a guy could be turned into a monstrous rapist, you know, by racism. But you know what? Uh, obviously we can't weigh in on the plausibility of the black, that happening in the black experience. We are in no way qualified to speak to that. And I'm not going to pretend we can. I'm saying it's a great three hours of television and we're going to let another podcast address the racial issues this time. Well, yes. And well, and the only thing I would say is that we do have, having just done Hunters season one and two. Oh my God. Racism turning yeah. someone into an absolute monster. Oh yeah. We, anyway. we understand that point. And, but on this one, in this one specific aspect is yeah, you and I are both experts on anti-Semitism and the history of it and Nazis. So we are very much qualified to talk about hunters. I cannot claim to be uh, an expert on black racism in the UK. No, so, well, it's it's in its white supremacy. I can talk about that one hundred percent. I can talk about how white supremacists are created and what society does to them. But I cannot talk about the experience of being black and British. I just can't. No, and that and it is it is. It just got. Oh, never mind. No, we can't do that because. Um, I have to go to work again in two hours. <laughs> I know. And um, this episode is leaving us with this horrible, horrible, horrible yeah. situation. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't imagine watching it the first time and not knowing. And you would have to wait for another season. Yep. You know, it wasn't like you were going to get the next season three months later. because Nope. It was the past, <laughs> you know, we had to wait a year or more to get the new season of British TV. Yep. <sighs> but I mean, again, at, at its core, I'm never going to say this isn't a magnificent episode. Yes, there are thorny racial issues brought up by it that yeah. we are not qualified to weigh in on. But we are qualified in, uh, to weigh in on the fact that, like, it is an unbelievably well-made example of how childhood abuse turns people into monsters. It's yeah, an incredibly well-told version of that. Yes, and and it is so hard to watch because of the you you've got not only right this rapist mm -hmm. and the racial issues that are attached to it, and mm -hmm. then you end up with rape within the police system. Yep on top of everything else and it's just like yeah you know and it just is has nothing good to say about the police no i mean but it's an entire episode again setting aside white. the horrific except for the one black guy right oh, yeah i know He's just and he get he gets it from yeah from malloy he gets it from fitz yeah um, the no not well, no, no, but Fitz uses him as an example when he's. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, well, yes, but that's not it. That 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 he can take. It's yeah. when when they go to see Malloy's friend. Oh my God, that scene. Yeah, you know, and the friend is, you know, yep. somehow or another. You. Oh, anyway, it it is. Again, like the idea that it's like your friend is this monstrous rapist, but in the community he's a part of, the real crime is a black guy being a cop. 
Yeah, the, well, yeah, but I've I've told that story about yeah, I know, um, you know, about that this one girl who grew up in what you would call the Ottawa projects. Yeah, and she was studying at the university, and she was going to become a cop. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, her family didn't shun her, but came close to it. The Next whole community, thing. you know, yeah. because she grew up in a community of crime and drugs and everything else and she decided she was going to not fall into that and she was going to do something else and she was going to become a cop and yeah. it was just like and then I'm having to deal with how they all you know didn't like her she was yeah, because... a pariah in her yeah. community because that is what she was going to do mm-hmm. because she's become part of the force that they see is impressing them because they don't see the cops as law and order. They see the cops as, you know, this force that exists to keep them down. And we can talk about the extent to which that's true in Ottawa. Well, yeah. But uh, I understand how like, interest. but I mean, the thing is, if I, I mean, I, I hate to like psychologize it this way, but is like, a person who grew up in a kind of poor community, always being hassled by the cops, decided to become a cop, really that different than the abuse victims who side with their abusers? Oh, I, yeah, I do think it was different. I knew this girl. No, I'm saying as a phenomenon. I, as, I'm on a case-by-case so basis. Sure. Right? Yeah, but I mean, you you know, I mean, and that's the problem with generalizing yes. all the time, is that is that you are always going to have it's, and you know, if you generalize too much, right, yep. and you use some of these things too much, right, you can miss. Oh, no, you lose have- you, you lose the aspect of, like, these people's actual lived experiences. Absolutely. Lived experience and, and the fact that they want to make a difference. No. Whether or not... Becoming a cop right. is the best way to make a difference in their community? Yeah. I, is... is Okay, I don't know. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. We all know on what uh, side of that I fall. Yeah, you know. Okay, but you know, do you? You do understand. You do understand the impetus, absolutely. Well, and the other thing is, okay, it might have been better if she had become a lawyer. I would yeah. also say, though, that I will give you ten to one that that the way she was treated in public school and in high school didn't leave her with the idea that somehow or another she could become yeah. a lawyer, right? She wouldn't be totally. smart enough. She wouldn't be, you know, you have to lower your sights. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, no, I, 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 I had to deal it. with that with students, you know, that, that somehow or another they have integrated the idea that they are not good enough yeah. when they really are and they're smart enough and they're good enough. And but the society has told them, the yeah. system tells them that they're not good enough. They're not. That they don't get enough. to part participate in that part of society. In that part of society, right? And because it's our class structure, and we like to pretend yeah. that because we're in Canada, we don't have a class structure, but we one hundred percent do. We're yeah. just better at hiding it than they are in India and England. Yes, and America. Yeah, we're way better than hiding it than they are in America. Oh my God! And ours is—I'm sorry, but I mean ours. Ours is there, mm-hmm. but I think there's more of an impetus to try and 
move away from that than there is in most of these other countries. Oh, 100%. Because they have a longer history of this class system. Yeah. That that Canada, it, it weirdly enough, yes, it had, but it, it anyway, that's again, I have to go to work in two hours. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, we're not going to get into this. Uh, but yeah, the episode, I mean, I think Let's my, my final thought is the episode is... It's fantastic. It's brutal. Yeah. It it raises all of these issues that yep. absolutely must be raised. And, you know, again, I wish I were an expert on more of this stuff so I could talk intelligently about this guy's claims and this guy's experience of suffering brutal racism his whole they... life in time. But the fact is, at its core, the message of the episode that I find kind of convincing is Fitz's message that this guy is always looking for someone else to blame. Yeah. Well, yes, but that's what his life has told him. Yeah. That, like, nobody, I would say his parents, obviously the father took off. Yep. At some point. And so that's that true. doesn't help matters any. And the mother must have driven him away, of course. That in, is pretty At least in his mind. In his mind, and if there is no way of of sorting this through, the mother certainly does seem inadequate to deal with these issues. Yep. You know, because you have to, if you are, like, let's look at Shamar Moore, I mean, Derek's oh, mother. Derek Morgan and his Derek mother. Derek Morgan's mother was white. Yep. Right. And that led to all sorts of issues as well. Oh, yeah. But different issues. And mm -hmm. she was much stronger about dealing with this. Yeah. Uh, whereas this woman does not seem, she seemed totally inadequate to deal with the issue. That her son was, was facing. Child, and there was nobody to help her. And yeah. nobody to help the child. Because mm -hmm. they were living in the... Oh, the poor part 70s. of town. The projects. Well, not, yeah, the projects, but the late 70s, the early 80s. Subsidized and, housing, like no uh, Margaret Thatcher's war on society. Yeah, you know, I mean, so, yeah, there was going to be no... Yeah, no there was no help. Of getting, no help, no social services. Yeah, there was nobody looking out for these people who yeah. couldn't, like, they couldn't and, provide for themselves because, you know, there were no jobs. Again, yeah, Margaret Thatcher. Idea. Yeah. And, and there was and, no help oh, coming from the government because of Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, we don't. So let's let's call it quits. Let's, let's <sighs> But yeah, it's it's a magnificent run. episode. Run. <laughs> uh it is a magnificent episode. It's unbelievably fantastic. It's just heartbreaking to watch. Yeah. And it really is. It is truly a heartbreaking episode. And I for one can't wait to see how we wrap up that cliffhanger. Well, Next week. <sighs> Next week. All right. Uh, so <laughs> that's that. As always, I want to thank you for listening. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling-related fiction you'd like us to check out, drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We are going to be... Uh, oh, yes. If you're listening to this on some sort of an app or podcatcher, please remember to rate and review it. Because that's how people find the show. We're going to be back next week with uh, Season 3... Episode one of Cracker, just three more episodes of Cracker left, and then the movie, uh, which should be interesting. 
So I'll look forward to that. Uh, but until then, I just want to say au revoir. And have a good week. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network.